Let me pray and we'll look into God's word today. So, God, we, we believe uh, in the Holy Spirit. We believe he is uh, the giver of life. And only since he gave, the Holy Spirit was the inspiration behind the writing of Scripture. And he obviously knows what it means and what it means for us, ordinary people who live in 2023. So, Holy Spirit, would you uh, open up our eyes and open up our hearts so we can see and hear what you want us to see and hear and what you want us to do in response that will lead us toward change and life that you designed for us. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. So the character for the day is Doubting Thomas. So, uh, and I put a question mark up there because, you know, Doubting Thomas is kind of, at least it used to be, maybe it's not as much anymore, it's, a, it's part of like American lingo. He's a Doubting Thomas, you know, and Thomas is a biblical character, one of the disciples of Jesus. And um, after just studying it this week, he's got a, he's got a, he gets a bad rap that we call him Doubting Thomas. I mean, none of us would like to be d- described by one situation like, I would never want to be called, you know, failure Matt or questioning Matt. I mean, it's like Thomas is a real, uh, uh, after this week, I thought I, I have a great respect for Thomas as a follower of Jesus. And I think maybe his story might parallel some of our stories in ways that might be encouraging for us. Because, uh, again, doubting Thomas is usually a term of somewhat condescension. It's not a positive thing. So he, got, he gets a bad rap when we call him doubting Thomas because... Um, he was way more than that, and he's one of the original disciples. And uh, he actually went to India, history tells us, as a missionary, um, far, far, far away. And many, many people came to Jesus because of his ministry there. So if, if that's what a doubter does, gives their life up to travel thousands of miles away to tell people about Jesus, then, then let's count us all in that clan, right? So uh, it's, so. We're going to look at a passage, go to the next, from John chapter 20. So one week after the resurrection is what the passages are going to be about. We'll, we'll, I'll read that in a few minutes. But Thomas, I will say this up front, Thomas was the last one of the disciples to see Jesus alive after the resurrection. So I've been doing a series since Easter about the different uh, interactions Jesus had with people after his resurrection. So whether it was Peter Mary Magdalene, Cleopas on the road to Emmaus, because how Jesus responded to people after his resurrection is the same way he responds to us now, right? So if we understand, see those things. So Easter, um, you know, people often talk about the, if you have a white tablecloth, so we're like in the fifth Sunday of Easter, if you follow that kind of calendar, because you think about Jesus rose from the dead, and then Pentecost was 50 days later, and then it was the Holy Spirit. So I just thought this year, instead of having just one Easter sermon, I'll do like five. Because Easter is like foundational to the whole Christian faith. It's not like a blip on the screen. So, um, so Thomas is first introduced in the Bible as just a, in the list of disciples. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they just list the disciples, you know. Peter, James, John, Philip, Thomas, Matthew, James, blah, 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 blah. So he's just listed as a name. He doesn't have any, doesn't have any lines in the script, so to speak, until uh, we get to Jesus in the last evening, the last supper in John chapter 14. Actually, right before that in John chapter 11. 
It's when Jesus, he's in the northern part of Israel, and he's going to go back down to the southern part, Judea, which is where Jerusalem is, which was going to be his final journey before his arrest and, res- and, and crucifixion. And uh, so I'm gonna, before we get to the main passage, I'm going to give a little, just to see, let's see who Thomas is so far. He shows up just in the list. His first time he talks, or we have recorded that he talks, I'm sure he talked more than that. First time that it's recorded is in John chapter 11. And this, he just says this, let's go to and die with Jesus. So let me give the context there. Jesus was talking to the disciples. He's with them, and they just found out that Lazarus had died. Lazarus was a good friend of Jesus, Mary and Martha, that whole entourage. And Jesus, again, they're in the northern part of Israel. And Jesus says, let's, let's go to Judea. Judea was the southern part. It's where Jerusalem was, where he was going to be arrested. <laughs> Jesus says, go to Judea. The disciples, they object. The Bible even says they object, and they say, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going back? So most of the disciples were like, Jesus, that's crazy. Bad strategy. They tried to stone you. And you want to go back? And Jesus just says, well, come, let's, let's go. Let's go to Judea. I mean, they're objecting. And what do you think you're doing? Bad idea. They're going to stone you. He says, let's go back. And then Thomas who is not really known as a spokesman of the disciples, Thomas says this, let's go too and die with him. Doesn't sound like doubting Thomas there. I mean, here the rest of the disciples, you can imagine the tension around the table or wherever they were at the time, and Jesus was telling them, we're going to go back to Jerusalem. And the disciples says that many of them, we don't know who said it, but they were the disciples objected. What are you thinking, Jesus? They're going to kill you. I mean, there was legitimate palpable fear and if again if we put ourselves in the story which is always a good thing to do in the biblical accounts if you were sitting at the table you would feel that sense of Ugh. not just fear for Jesus getting stoned but if I'm with him I'm I'm ooh, wow this could be a tense situation but Thomas speaks up and says let's go so he's not doubting Thomas here I'd actually call him courageous Thomas or maybe even loyal Thomas, but he's not weak at all. He's the one saying, let's go. Now, he, made, he didn't really fully understand maybe what was going to be happening there. He probably thought we're all going to die together because we're going to. And, but he, he was in. He had thrown his lot in. He's in. He didn't say, well, I'll stay back while you guys. No, he was in. He says, let's go. Let's die with Jesus. Then, then just a little bit later, Jesus is talking to them. This is the night he was going to be betrayed. He gives this, he gives this big talk. I'm going to call it a talk, but Jesus is just talking to the disciples. And this is, here's the quote, and then I'll unpack it. This is Thomas again saying to Jesus, we have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? All right? Context. So Jesus had just told them, I'm going to go somewhere, and where I'm going, you can't go. And most of the disciples are probably like, don't really know what he's talking about, but nobody said anything, right? Then he says in John 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. I tell you so. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not told, I'd tell you so. You know the place where I'm, you know where I'm going. Jesus is saying that to them. None of them knew 
where he was going. They didn't know what he was talking about. I mean, you've probably been in those environments where somebody will say something as if everybody should understand it. He said, you know the place where I'm going. So sit at the table for a second with the disciples and feel the awkwardness of all of them thinking, I don't know what he's talking about. I mean, he said he's going to go and we can't go with him. They had no understanding of the death and resurrection. He had said it enough times that it was just like us. Sometimes we don't get what Jesus is saying right away. So he says, you know the place where I'm going. And just pause at the table because there probably was an awkward silence where all of them, all of them were probably thinking like you and I often think about God. What does he mean? What does that mean? And then Thomas has enough courage to say, Jesus just said, you know where I'm going. And Thomas says, I don't have this on this part of the quote, but right before it, he says, no, we don't, Lord. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? I mean, the rest of the disciples were probably relieved that somebody finally said what everybody else was thinking. So in this case, I'm going to call him, say what everybody else is thinking, Thomas. I mean, aren't there times where maybe you've, you've had questions about what Jesus is doing in your life or he's doing in the world or in the church or whatever. And you have a question, but you kind of feel like, I don't want to be the one to ask the question because I don't want to be the one that looks stupid. Right? I was in an Old Testament class. When I was in college, I was in a, I went to a Christian school, so we had a required class in Old Testament. And I can still remember the professor. He looked like Peter Sellers on Clouseau, you know, the Pink Panther. But anyway... I remember one time he was talking about something in the Old Testament, and he says, well, of course, everybody knows this and this and this about the Old Testament, and they know why this happened. And I, I remember sitting in my chair thinking, I have no idea what he's talking about. And I grew up in a Bible church, but I don't know what he's talking about. But did I ask? No. Why? I didn't want to appear to be the stupid one. I assumed everybody else probably knew I'm thinking now everybody else probably had the same question I had, but nobody felt like they wanted to raise their hand to ask because they felt stupid. Not Thomas. Excuse me, excuse me. Jesus, we don't know where you're going. We have no idea. So there's sometimes it's okay to ask questions of things that may seem, if, other, if you think other people think it's obvious, it may not be as obvious as you think it is or they think it is. And sometimes... If not often, it's, it's okay to ask Jesus very blunt questions. No, I don't know what you're doing, Jesus. I have no idea what you're doing in my life right now. I see all these promises in the New Testament. You're never going to leave me. You're never going to forsake me. But I don't know what you're doing. And it's okay to do that. So here again, this isn't doubting Thomas. This is Thomas was already courageous and loyal. Let's go and let's die. And now he's like, he's stating the obvious that everybody else is probably wishing they would have asked because he just wants to understand. It's not, asking questions is not a sign of lack of faith. Sometimes I, maybe the opposite of doubting Thomas would be naive Thomas. Nobody wants to be a naive Christian and we shouldn't be. So maybe if we call him doubting, let's give it a little bit of honor and say his doubting is because he just wants to understand. Not understand like I demand God, you tell me. He just wants to understand what is this faith thing we're talking about. So don't ever think that it's, don't ever have naive Christianity. Let's have childlike faith. That's not naive Christianity. Naive Christianity is kind of like, well, whatever, I don't really, I just... I believe what I believe because 
Why? Well, I don't know why. I just do. Well, when things get tough, that house will crash. But if you learn to ask, ask questions, I was going to share this, but I'll share it now. I, I, before, I, before I dated Kathy, I dated one, one girl one time, and she never, she was kind of, she's probably a good person today, but she was kind of naive. Every time we talk about spiritual things, she was like, I don't know, I just believe that. And after a while, I thought, don't you have any questions? Well, then I started dating questions, and I, I started dating Kathy. <laughs> and part of my attraction to her was she asked all these hard questions about Christianity, like, oh, well, don't you just believe that? She goes, yeah, I just want to know why we believe that. What about this and this and this? And I was like, oh, I wanted to go back to comfort, naive Christianity world, but that's not what God wanted for me, and I'm glad he didn't want that for me. So don't, it's okay to ask hard questions. It's okay to raise your hand up to Jesus in the middle of a conversation where you're like, I think he thinks I know what he just said. I have no idea what he's doing. I have no idea. So, so far, Thomas has been just and loyal, and now he's say what everybody else is thinking, Thomas. So that's, just, just to give you a context, that's what we know of Thomas up to this point now where I'm going to read the passage. So now we're going to go to Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So... Thomas was up with the disciples, obviously, when they all fled, Jesus being arrested on uh, the night he was betrayed. He was, as far as we know, the only disciple at the cross was John. We don't know about others. Maybe they were in distance of seeing it, but they heard what happened. All of them knew, because of what we find out later, that, that Jesus had been nailed in the hands and pierced in the side. That's part of the story. They knew that, but Thomas was like the rest of them. He was scared, ran away. So again, Thomas is, this is just maybe a days or weeks before when he said, let's go to Jerusalem, let's die with him. He wasn't wanting to die with Jesus. Then he's like, well, we don't know where you're going. And then Friday hits, and you can imagine just the devastation, all of them, but let's think Thomas right now, he felt Saturday, devastation. And then Sunday, some things start happening. On Easter Sunday, Jesus appeared five different times to Mary, to the women, to Cleopas, and the others on their walk to Emmaus, once to Peter, and then he appeared to the ten, all right? There were the twelve. Judas killed himself, so there should be eleven. When he made appearance to the ten, the only one who wasn't there was Thomas, right? So let me read the passage from John chapter 20. All right, just follow along. This is John chapter 20, starting with verse 24. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin. Assumption he was a twin. We don't know who his twin brother was. He was not with the others when Jesus came. So when they came to Thomas, they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he, Thomas, replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. That's where he gets the, 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 the title Doubting Thomas. I'm not going to believe it till I see it. Now, mind you, all the other disciples, the, the, the ten, including, then you add in there Mary and Cleopas and the others, they had a chance to see Jesus and then they believed. Even, even when Jesus appeared to the ten, 
he even said to them, this was interesting, he said to them, he showed up in the room, remember he just showed up and we don't know how he got in, but he had a different kind of body. He says, peace be to you. And he right away says, look at my hands and my side. He offered them proof that it was him. He also ate food, so he offered proof that he was bodily resurrected. But for some reason, we don't know why Thomas wasn't there. We have no understanding. He was the only disciple who wasn't there when that happened. And so when they tell, so they apparently had a chance to tell Thomas later that day or something, we, we've seen the Lord, and he's like, I, don't, I won't believe it until I can experience, see his wounds, see his wounds in his side. Then the next three words of John chapter 20 throw me a little bit, because then it says eight days later. So Jesus just appeared to the ten. I mean, he had also appeared to Mary and Cleopas and other people. They tell Thomas, we've seen the Lord. I'm not going to believe it. This might have been like Sunday night after Easter Sunday. Eight days later, and I'm saying that because Jesus doesn't have the time frame we have. If I were to write the story, I would have said the next morning Jesus showed himself to Thomas. Or at least maybe Tuesday morning. But eight days later, why does Jesus wait eight days to show himself to this man who had great faith who had eventually reached millions in India? Why did Jesus wait? Why does he wait when we're wanting things from God? It's like I said, why did he wait to tell Mary that it was him before he asked her, why are you crying? Why did he wait? when he's talking to Cleopas and they're telling all this story about the grief about this guy named Jesus and he didn't reveal himself. So why is he waiting eight days for Thomas, who's the only one of the disciples that hadn't seen him? At least Jesus, give him a private showing, show up at his house or something. So again, I think we learn not just about how people related to Jesus after the resurrection, but I think we learn things about Jesus. He is not given to our own uh, urgent demands. And there's something about those eight days that was soul-strengthening for Thomas. Even though he was still, I, I, I haven't seen it. And I'm sure he believed his ten other disciples. I'm sure he believed that they had a, a genuine experience. But he's like, I'm not going to let my experience ride on them. I've got to see for myself. And Jesus made him wait eight days. And that's where I would almost subject and say, Jesus, that's not fair. But fair isn't part of, but it's like, why'd you wait? Why does he wait in your life and my life when we have questions? Why doesn't he give us answers as soon as we ask them? Why do we sit in this kind of this gray land of waiting, but something must happen during those waiting periods that's really, really good for us or Jesus wouldn't do it. He's not doing it just to test Thomas. He's not doing it to cause Thomas more and more pain. There's a reason he's doing that. And there's a reason he might wait eight days, eight months, or eight years to answer something you've been wondering. And there's, but there's something really good for our souls when he does that. But it says, eight days later, the disciples were together again. This time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. It's interesting because in the previous thing on Easter Sunday, 
John also tells us the doors were locked. So John's really making a point about the resurrection of Jesus and who Jesus is. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. He has a different kind of body, but it's still physical. He says, just like he said a week before, peace be with you. Then he looks straight at Thomas, and he says to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wounds in my side. Don't be faithless any longer, but believe. All right, so Jesus shows up again, same way he did with the ten. Peace be to you, he told them, see my hands in my side. Eight days later, he shows up. Doors are locked again. He shows up. So Jesus has what what people refer to as the resurrected body, Still physical because he's eating fish and things. But he says right away to Thomas, because he knew, obviously, what Thomas was asking. He turns straight to Thomas and says, see my hands and see my side. Now, the Bible never tells us that Thomas actually stuck his fingers in there. He says, that's what I want to do. But we're never told that he stuck his hand into Jesus' side. I think sometimes there's some famous paintings uh, where Peter has his hand up in Jesus from the Middle Ages or whatever. But we've never, we were never, Peter said, he, or not Peter, Thomas said he wanted that, but when he saw Jesus, and Jesus said, see this, there's no evidence that he actually stuck his hand up. Jesus. But right away, after the three horrible days after the resurrection, and then eight days of waiting, and Jesus, I think in incredible tenderness, looks straight at Thomas and says, See my hands in my side. And Thomas responds. So obviously his skepticism changed like in an instant. My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Thomas was the first person in all of scripture to call Jesus God. Because he, wow. He's like this so maybe that eight days of waiting was something in him that was, that was growing that now, my Lord and my God. And he was ready. I mean, like I said, he went to India from what history tells us. I looked today, I was listening, from, from Jerusalem to the town in India where he was said to have most likely gone, it's 55 days of walking. If even, if you, you know, who knows how long. But what I'm saying is he was, he was in he was in before, let's go, to, let's go and die with Jesus. He was in when he asked, we don't know where you're going. We have no idea. He was also still in. His faith was still there when he said, I, I'm not going to believe till I can see it. And then he's totally in now and he says, my Lord, oh my God. And then he becomes a world changer. He changes the world um, because of he now knew that the resurrection was not simply this uh, hypothetical idea that the disciples all trumped up. Think about that for a second. All the disciples except John were martyred because they believed Jesus rose from the dead. It'd be, it'd be quite odd for all of them to die for what they knew was a lie. So Thomas was one of them. And then Jesus says, after he says, after, Pete, after Thomas says, my Lord and my God, Jesus says, you believe because you have seen me Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. That's us. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Because sometimes we might think, well, I kind of wish I could have seen 
Jesus rose raised from the dead. Might help my faith. I'd believe more. I'd trust more. And that maybe, maybe not, because other people may have seen. But Jesus says, blessed are those who believe without seeing me. And it doesn't mean he's not saying blessed are those who have naive faith who just believe because they're told to. No, it's blessed are those who believe without seeing me, but there's still evidence that all of you who are following Jesus made a decision based on some kind of evidence, not necessarily cognitive evidence, but maybe something in your spirit where you knew I, Jesus is the way. There's, there's, there's evidence. Yes, there's historical evidence of the existence of Jesus. There's historical evidence even of some kind of event that might be li- likened to the resurrection. But all of you, all of, and myself included, if you follow Jesus, because blessed are you who believe even though you haven't seen him. And I would think some of you might say, no, I haven't seen him, but I've heard him. I know it's the voice of Jesus. Or you might say, I felt him, I know it was his spirit moving inside of me. But it's not just that. It's also is you, you, we, don't, we, don't put our, we don't put our brains aside when we believe. And we believe because of what we see in Scripture. We believe because of what history tells us. But we believe also because there's an experience we have with Jesus through his Holy Spirit of hearing and sensing, whether it's maybe at the time you felt convicted by sin, maybe it's the time you felt incredibly loved by Jesus, maybe you heard Jesus say something to you that you know beyond a shadow of doubt, that was Jesus talking to me. And some people might say, well, that's just, you know, you're making that up in your mind because you want to believe so badly and that kind of thing. But Jesus just says, blessed are those, us, who believe without seeing him. So I, I don't know if you're in the tribe of Thomas, so to speak, if you have questions or doubts about Jesus right now, if you're not sure why he's not, maybe you're a follower of Jesus just like Thomas was, but you're still not sure about some things, and maybe you're not all in because I still don't know. I, I want to feel Jesus. I want to experience Jesus. Um, you're not in a bad place. You're not a less than Christian. Now, if you, if you stay in doubt and question skeptical world forever, that's not a good place. But having skeptical or doubtful questions that you want to understand is a really good thing. I, I remember, I'll, I'll, I'll finish this, when I, was, when I was in seminary, one of my biggest doubts, I'll call it a doubt, was I really wrestled with the idea of, and this, is not gonna, this is not about hell, but I wrestled with the idea of eternal punishment. For those who didn't follow Jesus, I just thought, wow, that just seems so severe, seems so unloving. I don't know if I like this doctrine. I don't know if I like it. And then I, I, but I had to wrestle with that for a while. And then I had to wrestle with Scripture where Jesus talks about eternal punishment. And I thought, okay, but so if Jesus said it, then I trust it. And again, this is not about hell. That's a conversation. But it was more of if Jesus believed something then I'm going to trust him. If Jesus said something about his presence, if he said something about those who don't follow him, I, I'm going to trust Jesus. So there may be questions, you might not have the questions about that kind of stuff, but you might. Or you might have questions like, why doesn't Jesus do this in my life? I've asked Jesus for this for a long time. I've wanted this and this only, and he's not giving it to me. Well, it's okay to ask him the questions. Don't, don't plant your feet and demand answers on your terms, 
but it's totally okay to ask him questions. I, 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 gotta, I, gotta, I want to follow you. Because Thomas is basically saying, I want to follow you. I, I will follow you, Jesus. I just need to know this. I want to see this. And obviously something took root in Thomas because his faith was such that he, you know, thousands of miles away, India, and we don't know exactly, but the sense is he was actually killed by a spear, martyred because he followed Jesus. That's not somebody who's a lifelong doubter. That's somebody who I think would be in most of our spiritual hall of fame, and I would love to be like Thomas. I think all of you would too, because he had this sense of kind of courage, loyalty. I say what, I'll ask what nobody else wants to ask, but once I know, I'm in. Once I know, I know, and I will follow Jesus anywhere. So let me pray, and then we'll... uh, Actually, let's just go straight to communion, and then I'll pray. So Jesus said every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, and Thomas would have been there at the table that night, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, uh, remember me, because this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. Um, Do this. And remember, remember me. Remember what I said. Remember what I taught. Remember what I'm all about. So uh, when we take this, uh, again, I'll, I'll, I always like to think of something to challenge us to remember of Jesus. I'll just challenge you when you come up today and you take, because we're taking of Jesus to remember him. Remember I think how tender he was with Thomas when he shows up and he's like, Thomas, I know what you're asking here. Remember that Jesus is tender but also knows the questions that we have. And he's tender in answering by showing himself. So don't expect a harsh reply but the tenderness of Jesus. So as we take today, even remember not only his shed blood and body for our redemption but the tenderness he has for our questions. All right. Now let me pray. So Jesus, Aaron's going to come on up and lead us in a second here. So Jesus, we, we are grateful. And grateful maybe is a, is a, is a cheap word. But we're, uh, we are deeply grateful that you gave yourself on the cross uh, to break the chain of our own sin. To break the, our self-centeredness, to break our selfish agendas in life. And you set us into a whole new way of being alive and awakened for you. You set us in the way, the Bible tells us, the new and living way to know God. So we can see and know um, God in our life. We can hear him. So Jesus, we're grateful for that. We're also grateful for the ways that you dealt with people, Thomas in particular, about his questions. And you were so clear and tender and direct with him. And then you trusted him to take your gospel halfway around the world. We want you to trust us that way with incredible things that you can do through our lives for the sake of others. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.